Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. Rick Thomas here. Let's do a little bit of Life Over Coffee. Have you been to our coffee shop? If you haven't, please go to lifeovercoffee.com. We have tons of resources for you. They're free. Download, use, share, read, watch, listen. That would be fantastic. I also want to let you know about a course that we have just developed. It is a topical course on the fear of man. Some people call it codependency, peer pressure, that's fine. People who are insecure, who are managed by unwanted opinions, being manipulated by people with opinions that you really don't want. But sometimes because of how we have been shaped or how things have happened to us, we can find ourselves being manipulated by people, not having the courage to overcome this fear of man. Well, we have a course for you that you can purchase and you can go through and it will help you it is super, super practical. There are 20 videos in the course. There are 20 audios. There there is a 30-page PDF downloadable uh, workbook uh, that you would get also. And then, of course, it is an LMS, a learning management system. And so it will walk with you all the way through this training. It is essential equipping uh, for anyone that struggles with peer pressure, codependency, fear of man. This is something that you really want to take advantage of. It's titled No More Fear. Go to lifeovercoffee.com. Look for courses up in the navigation bar and Click on that link and it will take you to all of our courses, but you'll see a topical course and it says no more fear, uh, something like breaking free from the opinions of, of other people. And you can read all about it and see if it's a good fit for you. Pastors, please let your folks know about it. I know that there are people in your congregation who struggle with fear of man and you could uh, let them know about this course and maybe it's something that they could take. I have a whopper of a question that I want to ask you. Here it is. I'll just just let me spill it out and then we'll work through it. How do you want to suffer with God or without God? Now, we have no choice about personal suffering. It is part of the human condition, Christian or non-Christian. It does not matter. Suffering doesn't discriminate. I mean, not even Christ could escape personal pain and disappointment, including a mob murdering him on the cross. To be human is to suffer. And there are times we do it to ourselves, of course. I have self-sabotaged myself so many times. But then there are other instances where people hurt us too. And of course, that's been my experience as well as yours. And then other times, it's just plain random, and it makes no sense about where it came from or when it will leave. But knowing these truths about suffering is is soul-disturbing news. It doesn't settle well in any of our psyches, but let's not leave it there. There is good news. Good news does exist. We can choose the conditions for our suffering. We can experience the challenges in our lives with or without God, making the all-important question, which option would you choose? How do you want to suffer? And again, I cannot overemphasize this point. There is only one option as far as suffering. We all suffer. 
But we do have two options when it comes to how we want to suffer with or without God. Isn't it easy to forget how suffering comes with the human package, a consequence of the fall of Adam? It is even easier to forget how the Lord wants to walk with us through our suffering. We must remember these things. Forgetting about God or His purposes while suffering certainly adds to the complexity. To be caught in the vortex of a spinning tornado and unsure if God is with you, well, that is suffering's most significant victory. Job came to this place in his life. From his perspective, he was dazed and confused and without God. It was like walking through a hurricane blindfolded, and to top it off, he had no clue about the father's back traffic conversation with the devil. We read about that in Job 1.7. Job did not realize how no amount of praying would bring his problems to a successful conclusion. Listen to how Job talked about his trouble in the middle of his book. He said this in Job 23, verses 8 and 9, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Imagine that. I mean, what do you think about Job's condition? How does it make you feel? What if you personalized what was happening to Job, to you? I mean, if you were him, what would be going through your mind? These questions are not theoretical for most of us. We're going through disappointment right now, amping the need to wrestle with these questions. We can often read God's Word as we read about a tragedy on the other side of the country. It's happening to them, not me, and we can read in such a detached way, and then it happens to us. And then we say, and you've heard this, I never considered how the things I read online could happen to me. Suffering is part of our lives, and the preemptive soul wants to stand alert, considering how to fortify for those disappointing seasons that are most certainly going to come. Christians do this with God not with the cynicism of a culture that overtly rejects Him. I mean, suppose the Lord was working in a more profound and more mysterious plan in your life, and suffering was the vehicle that He chose to carry out those grander purposes in your life. Job is only one of many people the Lord selected to suffer for His higher purposes. Jesus was another. I mean, our salvation happened because the Lord chose to allow suffering in the life of His Son. You read about this in Isaiah 53.10, It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. May we praise God because there was no alteration or no diminishing to the pain of Jesus until He finished the task, the task that ushered in our salvation. I think most folks are okay with the benefits of the gospel while praising God for the sacrifice of the gospel on Adam's tree. But similar to the tragedies that we hear about from distant places, the problem is when the practicalization of the gospel comes home to roost in our lives. That's when the call to suffer becomes our cross to bear, our most feared blessing. This unspeakable blessing reminds me of Paul, 
a man amid unrelenting suffering. You read about it in 2 Corinthians 12. I mean, in this sense, his suffering was somewhat parallel to Job's. The Lord used Satan to harass Paul. That's Paul's language, not mine. And we learn this from his recounting of the thorn that was in his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. And Paul promptly prayed three times for the pain to stop. The Lord essentially said no to Paul, letting him know that his trouble would not go away ever in this lifetime. So Paul discontinued his appeals, his prayers for the cessation of his suffering. He just stopped. He learned how his thorn in the flesh was predetermined by God to buffet him and to teach him how to not rely on himself, but to rely on him who raises the dead. In fact, earlier in the same Corinthians letter, Paul gives us a peek into his theology of suffering, the urgency to rely on God, and how the good Lord will press any of us beyond our abilities to where we have no other alternative but to trust Him. Listen to how Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content, imagine that, with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And then Paul gives us the really a mission statement. I mean, it's the secret to, uh, to his life. He finished this paragraph by saying, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Rather than relying on his prayers to get God to change his mind, Paul began to rest upon the empowering grace of God to propel him into a more profound experience and usefulness in God's kingdom. Rather than a complaining spirit as it pertained to his suffering, Paul had a boasting spirit. I will boast all the more in my weaknesses. His understanding of his circumstances the Lord was permitting into his life, it transcended what was happening to him. It even changed what Paul wanted for his life. He saw a more significant prize through the suffering rather than sublunary desires for planet Earth living. It would probably help at this juncture to pause and remember that I am not here to magnify Paul as though he was something special. We would need to guard our minds at this point. Paul was an ordinary man as far as his humanness and his temptations were concerned. Sometimes we can think of Paul as a super apostle in a similar way that we might think of Jesus as though Christ was not 100% man when he walked among us. My aim here is to amplify the grace of God that speaks to how the Lord can turn pain into power in ordinary men and women like you and me. We often read the Corinthian text and we can think of Paul, that he was a great man, and I suppose in some ways he was, and overcame his trials because of his greatness or his specialness. Now, that kind of thinking would be a travesty do you realize what it would do? It would marginalize God's power and magnify God's abilities. And that is the thing that Paul is asking us not to do. He is taking a position of weakness, boasting in his weakness. And so we do not want to misconstrue what is going on here as though he is a super apostle. He's a special man. No, he is a, a man. He's a human just like you and me. 
God's grace was sufficient for Paul, not the sheer will and courage of any perceived greatness that you may want to attribute to him. Paul could do all things through Christ, who strengthened him, not through Paul, strengthening himself because he was different from us. Well, in the middle of the book of Job, you find another ordinary man who could not untangle himself from his misery. By this point in the book, Job had and he had excellent and he had unhelpful counsel from his friends. And then there was Job's introspective turmoil as his internal dialogue bounced off the walls of his common sense. The singular constant through it all was unshakable suffering a means that God was using to bring Job to the end of his legalistic self-reliance. As he continued progressing through his tribulation, the God he thought he knew appeared to have left him. He vanished according to Job's myopic internal logic. Before his suffering, Job loved God and walked with him. He served him daily, and God was near, active, and reciprocal. Shortly after the trouble came into Job's life, he separated himself from the God he loved. I am unsure when Job perceived the distance between him and his Lord, but this is how he talked about it at the midpoint of his journey through his crucible. In Job 23, the first three verses, it says, Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. In Job 1, chapter 1, verses 20 and 22, he prayed to God as an act of worship. In Job 23, verses 1 and 2, he complained to God out of the emptiness of his soul. His praying turned into complaining. And his complaining turned into bitterness. And his bitterness separated him from the Lord. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I would come even to his seat. Today my complaint is bitter. Now at this crossroads, I think it would help if we were to stop and reflect on how we want to suffer. The formula would look like this. Suffering with God equals hope and empowering grace. Suffering without God, all that I knew where I might find him, equals complaining, bitterness, and and heaviness. Separation from God happens when we lose sight of where God is and what he is up to in our trials. Job is articulating this uh, very well for us. An overfixation of suffering leads to its magnification, eventually captivating our thoughts, blinding us to the divine weaponry at our disposal, the arsenal we need to regain sovereign clarity and a path forward. When mental captivation happens, the troubled soul becomes a complaining spirit. This tension is where we find Job. The heaviness of his soul lowered him into a dark hole from which he could not see the light to escape. During his troubles, Job lost sight of God, and his soul began to drift from what he believed. He went from a joy-filled, God-centered position to a frustrating perspective of problem-centeredness. 
His wrong response to suffering linked him to an expected self-induced prescribed misery. Suffering with God is just as formulaic as suffering without, uh, without God. Job became bitter. Bitterness is a form of self-inflicted torture. It is a way of punishing oneself and others as the bitter heart spills over into our real-world relationships. Bitterness is not a medicine that fosters transformation or brings about a preferred life. If left unattended, it will take the soul to despair while leaving a generational impact on those in its wake. Bitterness is like a formula, multiplying misery as long as the disappointed soul feeds it. Imagine suffering as Job did and responding sinfully to God's work in your life as Job did, compounding your turmoil. Grace-empowered, God-orchestrated suffering is hard enough But to poison the soul with bitterness in response to the suffering is a rebellious act that moves you farther from God. Some writers have accurately translated the word bitterness in this text, Job 23, as rebellion. Certainly, bitterness is a form of rebellion against God. You see, you cannot be be bitter with anyone and be in harmony with God. The bitter person willfully separates himself from God as he persists with a complaining spirit while refusing to repent. Now, I am unsure how perceptive Job was to what he was doing to himself or his relationship with the Lord. But his wrong attitude affected him deeply, spiritually blinding him to what was happening to him. Have you ever seen someone sabotage themselves and not be aware of what they were doing to themselves? Our friend Job was doing this to himself. Though his complaint was accurate, he could not find God in his trouble. Of course, the ironic reason for his confusion and inability to find God was his bitter resistance to what God was doing in his life. Job was willful, albeit ignorantly, separating himself from God, and then complaining because God was not near. Do you see the irony? When I do this, it follows this negative progression. Let me walk you through seven quick steps of what happens when you complain, become bitter, become rebellious, separate from God, and then complain because God is not near. Here's the seven steps. I I am hurt. I hurt myself. Someone hurts me, but I am hurt. Number two, I complain. Wrong response, but I complain. Number three, my complaint turns to bitterness. That's a complaint that I don't I don't repent of my grumbling or repent of my complaining. And so if I don't, my number three, my complaint turns to bitterness. Number four, my bitterness is rebellion. Guess what? Number five, my rebellion separates me from God. Number six, I can no longer receive help from the only one who can help me. God resists the proud. Number seven, God never moved. I did. I am the one that moved. You see, God was in Job's suffering. He was smack dab in the middle of it, persevering with Job on one hand while battling the devil on the other. Job would later learn this terrifying truth in 23.16. As he does, a glimmer of hope begins manifesting in Job's mind. 
he starts to transition from the elusive possibility of a utopian day without suffering to the soul-wrenching option of experiencing God while in the crucible. If getting away from trouble becomes the focal point of our lives, we may circumvent the beautiful things the Lord wants us to experience, which we can only experience during our troubles in the crucible. It is within our Adamic given scope and tendencies to find the easy way out of trouble. Where's the exit? That's a path that does not bear the footprints of Jesus. If we're going to walk in his steps, then, well, he told us, he was quite clear that we're going to have to take up our cross and follow him. Well, Brother Job came to his senses, and once he did, sovereign clarity began to break through his darkened mind. This is what he said in verse 10 of chapter 23. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Running and hiding makes sense, but it is not our best play. If you struggle to persevere through inescapable suffering, I challenge you to stop, think, listen. God is there. He is with you. He promised never to leave us. Do you remember that? Do you believe it, that God is with you? Making our way back to God is a slow and laborious process. It requires us to set aside our our preferred utopian life for the life the Lord is giving us. If we linger in the crucible, paying attention to what God is teaching us, we will experience a new kind of grace. It is overcoming grace which comes proportionally and simultaneously to the degree that we repent of complaining and bitterness. This kind of experience will not happen until we enter the ring with God, admitting our rebellion and pleading with Him to make us clean again. If you are If you are one of the Lord's struggling children in inescapable trouble, I recommend that you have numerous honest talks with Him. One of the refreshing things about this passage in chapter 23 is that Job, it's His his honesty. His perspective needed adjusting. Yeah, the things that He was saying needed to change. His words were not right, but they were honest, and His willingness to not hide His exact thoughts is encouraging. I am so glad to see wobbling saints in the Old Testament and new, because if they were all perfect, well, then it would be too high of a bar, and it would be so discouraging. So what if you be honest with God? Do not hide from Him what He already knows about you. Remember Hebrews 4.13, All things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do, even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Denying the truth about yourself will mask the real you only from you. Eventually, you will lose contact with the ugly truth about who you are, Self-deception may feel right, but you will reap a harvest of bitter herbs if you persist in self-induced blindness, and that is exactly what happened to Job. Those who choose to suffer without God do become blind to what's happening to them. It's Gentile thinking, not Christian thinking. Paul's appeal to the Ephesian Christians was not to act like Gentiles. 
who are susceptible to futile thinking. You read this in Ephesians 4.17. Manipulating your mind to exchange the truth of God for a lie is not a path that you want to travel. Job was explicit. Job was articulate about his sin. He laid it out, and he began wrestling through it with the Lord. Will you follow Job's prescription for persevering in the crucible? If you do, you will... You probably will not sense any immediate change in your soul or your circumstances. Now, this is important to understand. Sometimes we don't want to go with the, I tried Christianity and it didn't work. Sometimes when people suffer and they cry out to God and change doesn't happen, uh, then they lose sight of God again. And then they turn into a complaining spirit, which turns into a bitter spirit, which is rebellion. If you cry out to God and you're honest and transparent with Him, you're ready to enter the ring with Him, do not fear. The Lord will enable you in ways that sheer human will cannot accomplish and your finite mind might not perceive at the moment. Remember that Christians always move forward by faith, not based on existential feelings. And so don't succumb to Gentile thinking as you proceed. This is actually what Paul said in Ephesians. He said, They, the Gentiles, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. The temptation is to feel something, which is not wrong. But feelings are not necessarily essential or accurate, especially in human suffering when God is doing the mysterious things in our lives. I realize what I'm saying is hard. It really is. I mean, perhaps they're too hard for you right now. I understand that. Uh, When I was in the crucible once upon a time, these kinds of truths, uh, they were too hard for me to reach. And so I appeal to you to find a close and trusted friend, a competent spiritual leader, or a pastor who can walk you through these challenges, someone who has more clarity than you. When you're going through suffering, you are in the midst of the whirlwind. Darkness overtakes you, and it's hard to see the light of day. That's where sometimes it is essential to lean into the faith of other people who can walk with you. Like a parent that takes the hand of a child, sometimes we need to lean. Sometimes we need to follow others as they follow Christ. There are more friends out there than just Job's three buddies. The body of Christ is an invaluable resource when unwanted pain comes into our lives. If the whirlwind of trouble has captured you, then please reach out. Pursue Christ. Pursue His body. Prayer, God's Word, His community, these are means of grace intended to support us while teaching us how to appropriate His extreme power in our lives. Access these gifts from God, asking the Spirit to navigate you as you return to God. It's your choice. You can suffer with God or without God, but one thing is for sure, we will suffer. And so I titled this, How Do You Want to Suffer, With or Without God? Let me wrap up here, but I do want to ask you a a few questions. And again, if you want to read this in its entirety, I would appeal to you to do so. How Do You Want to Suffer, With or Without God? You can find it at lifeovercoffee.com. But here are a few questions that may help you as you reflect on what I've been sharing with you. Number one, what were you thinking when you first heard about 
suffering with or without God. Paul's to tape. Spend some time thinking about that. That's a whopper of a question. That's what I said. It's a huge question, and we, we, we don't want to just scroll through the next thing like we're surfing through social media. No, I think time and meditative reflection would be very helpful to think about this. Will you take the time? Perhaps even write out your thoughts or share them with a friend. What were you thinking when I said you can suffer with or without God? Number two, how does this perspective positively bolster your theology of suffering? Or alternatively, how does it hinder you from thinking rightly about God? It may surprise you, I'm not sure, but when some people hear these things, uh, it's too much for them. And they don't think rightly about God as they connect human suffering and and begin to ponder if God is in it, God is causing it, God is having a a, a back traffic conversation with Satan, that somehow God is in this some way. People have a weak, generally speaking, most people have a weak theology of suffering, and it hinders how they think about God, and that is unfortunate. But we live in a growing, increasing, illiterate biblical culture, and so these things are hard truths, heavy truths, big truths that transcend culture-centric thinking and people who have been indoctrinated in ways that are outside of what God's Word teaches. And so how does this perspective positively bolster your theology of suffering or hinder you from thinking rightly about God? Number three, as you think about Paul hearing the news that his suffering would never change, how does that sit with you? What about when Paul said that he would rejoice in his infirmities? Would you take some time to describe what it would be like if you were hearing the bad news and rejoicing in God's power working through you? Let your imagination run wild down those biblical tracks. Uh, Paul got the news that his situation was never going to change, and he began to rejoice despite unchanging circumstances. How does that strike you? Would you spend some time thinking, maybe writing, Maybe talking to someone about that. Number four, do the things you've, that you've heard, do they give you hope or do they bring you further down? Would you take some time to explain your answer by writing it out, sharing it with a friend? And by the way, whatever you write out or whatever you share with your friend, what does that re- reveal about you? What does it reveal about your relationship with God? Number five, are you struggling with bitterness? If so, do you see how it's a form of self-punishment? The Bible calls it rebellion. What's the upside as you realize what you're doing to yourself? I mean, the upside is like getting the news and understanding the diagnosis uh, accurately. Well, that is the upside. So talk about the upside of understanding that complaining leads to bitterness. Bitterness is rebellion. Rebellion separates you from God. Hearing that, knowing that, what's the upside? Alternatively, what's the downside if you stay bitter? What will you do to grow out of a bitter spirit if you have one? And then finally, number six, I talked about contacting someone to help you understand what is happening in your life and to provide care for you. A spiritually minded person who is competent, who understands these things and can walk you through it. Who is that person? I just appeal to you not to hesitate. 
contact them today. Share this with them. Again, the title of it is, How Do You Want to Suffer With or Without God? They can read it. They can watch it. They can listen to it. And then work through it and wrestle through these questions. But do it in community. I often say you can do many things by yourself, but sanctification is not one of them. We need one another. And so I appeal to you, if you're really struggling, find a friend who is competent in God's Word and can help you. And then as a reminder, we do have that new course, and I would love for you to take advantage of it. No more fear. How to Overcome Being Controlled by the Opinions of Other People. Go to the navigation bar at lifeovercoffee.com. Look right in the header, right at the top. Look for Courses over on the right-hand side. Click on Courses. It will take you to that course. Uh, There are several others there, too. Uh, But No More Fear is our latest one, and I would love for you to read all about it. And if it's a good fit for you, then please take it and then all take the course and then also let others know about it. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.